Hey guys, this is going to be like a very long episode, so bear with me. It's going to be one that you just don't want to miss because I don't think I've ever spoken about this before. I was very grateful to be invited on the Oz Property Investment Facebook group. We did a live with Jeff and Joe, great blokes that a lot of you might already know. If you don't, go check them out on the Oz Property Investors Facebook group. We talked about why it may not be actually a good idea to invest in property, full stop. Or right now, you know, we talk about property booms and busts. We talk about how rent vesting doesn't always work. We talk about how maybe you shouldn't buy commercial right now, how paying off your mortgage through investing in properties could be one of those spooky myths about how you can't really retire off property in 10 years very easily, why house and land packages suck, how you should avoid one-stop shop property firms. There's so many reasons why you just should not buy property right now. I know it seems a bit quizzical and weird for me to be talking about this, but it's a long episode. But the number of hidden jewels and gems and diamonds that you'll find in this, hopefully are just unparalleled, not just from me, but from Jeff and Joe as well. So really enjoy this one and let me know what you think. Here you go. Welcome to the Oz Property Investment Mastery Podcast. My name is PK and I help busy people build passive income by buying top 5% growth and cash flow property and build a portfolio using data without wasting months doing research, spending weekends at inspection or catching flights or dropping ten dollars to $20,000 on buyer's agents every single time. So if you're confused, lack confidence, and just overwhelmed with all the information and marketing misinformation available online and don't know where to start, then this show is for you. What I'm going to do, I'm going to introduce the man, the, the enigmatic and the charismatic PK Gupta. So he is... You were an investment banker. I think it was, was it Goldman you were working for? Goldman Sachs? No, I don't have the pleasure of working for Goldman. It was JP Morgan. Oh, JP. All the same, mate. All, all, all bankers. I won't share my thoughts on bankers. But uh, you're passionate about investing in real estate and, and sort of fruit. I'm going to I'm gonna cut cut some of the, because you, you've got a lot of information about who you are and people should check that out. <laughs> but you wanted to collate 50 plus factors and run analysis to understand what truly drove capital or drives capital growth and cash flow. So th this is the kind of stuff that helped has helped you to create 120K. I think it's probably more than 120K now, but that's what it says. So it's correct as of me reading your site, uh, passive income and helped hundreds, probably even thousands of people now um, accelerate their journey over the last five years. So you've got a team of six the thing that I'm most uh, interested in is you're a, you're a dad and you're passionate about travel. So where's your, where's your favorite place to travel, PK? We actually just came back from a trip to India and everyone thinks, oh, look, you're, you're born in India, so you must be like, you know, we're visiting family or something. But like, I love rural India. Like, I feel that metropolitan India is like, it's kind of sold its soul, if you know what I mean. But like yeah. regional rural India, it's like how it used to be, I don't know, like, 30, not 30, 300, 400 years ago, like we went to this village, we were hungry, so we knocked on the door and this like beautiful lady, like wife, you know, mother brought us in and they're like really poor, but she cooked this amazing meal for us that would have costed her like a week's wage. And like, Jeez. you know, just, it's just like, you know, you do that in, I don't know, Australia, but you do it in America, it's like someone's got a shotgun to your head, right? So it's like, I love, <laughs> I love like the purity of the hearts of the people in, in rural India. 
Yeah, there you go. Love that. Humble, humble kind of trip there. So in, it, that's that's the one of my favorite favorite most recent trips. So good on you. I, I love a bit of travel myself. We'll get out there eventually again. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about this. I think we've got seven things lined up that we're going to be chatting about as the reasons why you shouldn't buy real estate right now. So it's going to be and and the format of this. So you've you've spoken to over hundred or over hundreds or even thousands of people. So you and you do a weekly, I think at least a weekly podcast, or I think it's see it weekly. Um, and there's a whole bunch of YouTube videos. Like you're very prolific. So you think and do a lot of research into these things. So I think you present you're able to present discussion and argument. So. We're going to talk about the thing, what it is, why it is that you should consider buying, not buying because of this reason, and also saying, well, maybe there is. A, we're going to. I'm going to throw a little tweak in there just because um, we can. Is there ever a situation where we might consider one of these things, or one of these things is true, and then we'll sort of wrap wrap up that thing. So did I did I did I hit hit on the hit the nail on the head there, Joe? What's the quickest feel? Elevate Mate, pitch. absolutely. We're talking about why you shouldn't be buying property. There are seven big reasons why you shouldn't be buying property in different types of assets. So let's dive in to question, well, no, statement number one. So statement number one is all about a thing that we've all heard about. And I think that um, when you start your investing journey, this is where you get led to because there are massive organizations that make hundreds and hundreds of millions of, millions of dollars. And actually the government steers people at times to these type of assets where it's buying a house and land package as a good investment. So that is what we're trying to unpack with um, with PK. So PK, what are your thoughts on this as a reason not to buy property? Yeah, it's a, it's a great one. And just to kind of backtrack for a second as well, like when I first was starting to look into property, um, like I wish there were forums like your guys, like Oz Property Investors, because, you know, it's almost like you're on this side of the fence and the other side of the fence, the grass is greener and everyone's rich in property, apparently. And all these inv investment companies are telling you if you do what they do, you'll also become rich. But there was very little education at that time. So like, I come from this theme of like um, the there's this saying that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. So people who told me about who to watch out for, what to watch out for, they became my friends. Right. Because they were against the people who were trying to rip me off. So that's exactly what you guys are doing. And I'm sure everyone's super grateful for, for the community that you've built. And you know, without getting all fluffy and stuff, like you guys are like you know, genuinely doing a terrific job over the last two years. So I mean, I must, I must admit, I do see the occasional because I, I vet a lot of, well, not a lot, but I vet. Um, a good good majority of the comments and and just sort of see where they're coming from and who the people works for. If somebody's saying, "Oh, the house and land packages are great," unless they, like, I usually sort of my my sort of detector is on a little bit just to kind of say, "Well, okay, is this person this person work for that company? If they do, that's okay. I'm not saying that that then, but I just sort of say, "Well, okay, well, these are the things that people should consider, and if they still decide to go down that path, that's that's of course up to them. But un unpack some of the Joe's mentioned it, but crystallize some of the reasons why you feel it may not be um, a reason to buy one of these right now or just effort maybe. 
Yeah, for sure. And like some of this might sound very basic, but I think a lot of people should know if they don't that land appreciates and buildings depreciate. And so when you're buying a house and land package, especially these days, like, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, it was different. But these days, if you're out in Western Sydney or out in Western Melbourne, you know, you're buying like 300, maybe 350 square meters. And you're mm -hmm. paying, I don't know, like in Western Melbourne, probably seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in some areas for that. In Sydney, you're paying a million bucks for that. And then you're building like this overcapitalized, in many instances, house on top. So like I know a lot of like people that sort of I I help in my you know free Facebook group and stuff like that. They're like, well, PK, all of this sounds good. You know, buildings depreciate, land appreciates. Don't buy in whoop whoop in like far out places in Sydney because there's so much developable land supply, and so therefore property prices don't grow because there's so much supply that outstrips demands. These are all the reasons, by the way, you shouldn't buy a house and land package. You know that. Um, you know, it's brand new and all, and you know, generally brand. Oh, let's, but the what I'm getting at here is that people don't believe me because they're like, well, okay, I know that Jeff, Joe, and PK say try to avoid house and land packages for XYZ reason, but the reality is that Western Melbourne has like gone up 50%, all these new places. Reality is that like Western Sydney, the things that I would never buy have gone up, like Box Hill, Rouse Hill, you know, all these, like, new Mate, communities. Yeah. I, I think you just have to remember that Sydney is king. Sydney is king, PK. <laughs> you mentioned Sydney. But um, I, th I think having grown up in Sydney, I don't know so much about Melbourne, but, yeah, it's interesting because there's just this perception that people can't really buy elsewhere. But go on, sorry. Yeah. But it's no, all no, relative, exactly. though. Like, it's all relative. Like, yes, if you bought in the last two years, if you bought in 2020, you bought anywhere. If you bought a house and land package in 2020, Everything has gone up. The, pro the, the, the government printed billions of dollars and inserted that and pretty much allowed property to expand up crazy. So it is everywhere. Like it's just prices have inflated. It doesn't necessarily mean that this place, this house and land package is a, is a good investment um, because it's grown. If you invested that money in another market, you would have had a better opportunity. Like if exactly, you yeah. exactly. And like sometimes I try to prove that point because you know I'm kind of against house and land packages. I try to prove that point by saying, all right, let's pick a random Western Sydney suburb that everyone is like. A lot of people are, get flogged, like Schofields. Okay, and Show like you. yeah, yep. you bought a house and land package there two, three years ago. You've made fifty percent, maybe even like sixty percent. But if you yep. bought an established house there, you've made like 80 percent in many in many cases. I'm just using round numbers here. It's because you can like, sell to the developers and cutting it up and then they're making the right, money on the yeah, Right. And it, it kind of like, you know, it kind of infuriates me still to this day. Like I still kind of still makes my blood boil when you see those ads on Facebook. It's like, you know, depreciation, get your tax down um, because you're buying this house and land package. It's like, you know, no it just maintenance. low maintenance, easy yeah. to get tenants. It's like, seriously, you know, like, yes, you're not, you're going to have low maintenance, but even a well-bought, established property is only going to cost you like $1,500, $2,000 on average over the long term per year. And yeah. you know, depreciation, you've got to pay half of that back based on your marginal tax rate if and when you sell. Like all of these things can be demystified. And I genuinely get kind of worked up because people don't realize that. And then, you know, like a few years later, they're like property investing doesn't work. So that's I one reason that. why you should not buy property right now if that's what you think. <laughs> I think the other um the the other big thing that's um that we didn't really touch Joe touched on a little bit about the the millions of dollars that, that some companies are earning. 
when I was sort of in, in 2013, 2014, 2015, and we probably all had conversations with similar kind of people, um, I, I would sort of say I would have like there'd be those, you'd get attracted to these seminars or whatever, all these companies, and, and you'd, you'd ask, I, I just sort of, I don't know how I even know to ask this question, but I suppose you traditionally your BA, you pay, you pay fee for service or you pay whatever, you pay a fee. And and then these the the companies it's a free kind of you you don't pay for their service and I said well okay how how do you my question to them was how do you get paid and they said oh actually I asked I think it was one person and he actually they told me they said we get paid by the person who 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 give who provides this land I'm like okay fair enough well I said well how do I know I kind of thought well how do I know that that's the best the best investment because you're you're basically selling me something that a product that you already have so you don't even know what my so you've only got one product so if any, if everything's if you have a hammer then everything's a nail i suppose is is my point yeah and, and the biggest thing for me is i was having a conversation with my auntie a couple of years back and i was like oh so what you know what are you doing nowadays she's like oh i am a, i'm a real estate agent and i sell to developers i was like oh wow that's cool like how does that work um I, and she's like no i sell for developers i was like oh so you sell like you sell these properties to people well i kind of get these people i'm kind of like i kind of buy for them i mean so how does it work she's like i'll find a developer will reach out to me and say hey sell this piece of property and i will give you six percent of the purchase price on five hundred thousand dollar purchase six percent is thirty thousand dollars and she would get this whacking commission on top of it because she sold it to some first home buyer or or um and this is there's a question that's come up here um by Brian which is a great question so who should buy house and land packages we are meant to build a million houses in the next 5 years the people that should buy a house and land package are the people that want to love to live in a house and land location so if you go to Schofield and you're like wow i love the open scenery i love that there's you know i love that there's a Costco just around the corner, then awesome. absolutely you should go out and do that. But as an investor, our goal is to make the most amount of money in the quickest amount of time with the least amount of risk and not get in trouble with this isn't it type of the buyer, for the buyer brief, isn't it, Joe? Is that the it's a buyer brief? Yes, it is. Um, but you don't want to be buying these type of assets because that they're not in high growth. They're not necessarily in high growth locations. And there are some house and land packages that are in infill locations. So that's something to look out for as well. But for me, when I look at investing, I'm not trying to gobble up all the information and put everything on my plate. I've got like a reductionist type of investment strategy where house and land packages, I know 98% of them are rubbish and that 2% of them are going to be really, really good investments. So what I'm just going to do is remove 100% of them off my plate, then remove um, off-the-plan apartments, and then remove properties that are out of my price range, then remove properties out of my yield range, then remove properties out of the states that I don't want to buy in. And all of a sudden, you've got such a narrow scope for your investment to focus on, and you can dive into those markets a little bit more to get those Especially if you're new, right, Joe? Like if you're new and this is your first or second property, like that is the exact right approach you should take. If you already got 10 under your belt, then maybe you can try extract value from the 2%. But like whenever you hear growth corridors, you know, that that doesn't mean that that corridor is going to grow in value. It means there's more population coming into that growth corridor. How does population get there? It's like because there's more houses. Who projects or who predicts and makes these forecasts for population? It's It's like, 
it's the local council based on how many building approvals, how many developers are approaching them to build house and land packages. So it's like, it's almost like supply is dictating the demand forecast. If that's happening, then supply and demand always going to be balanced. Somebody said watching from Western Sydney. I just couldn't. Whereabouts in? I mean, maybe you shouldn't ask Pete. Pete, where you're from in Western Sydney? Because that might be too close. I'm from I'm from the I'm from the I'm from the Western suburbs as well. Working class boy, Miles, good old St Mary's originally from. But um, <laughs> I, I want to throw this in there because this is um, kind of a, an area, and I think it's important that we kind of address some of these we go along. We can't get. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. Um, is Oran Park still a good suburb to buy? Expecting expecting the prices to go up with with airport, train station, public public school coming in. We'll throw to you first, PK. Uh, this is uh, duration um, from YouTube. So I've got a view on this, but what are your thoughts, PK? I'd love to hear your view. I don't know off the top of my heart, uh, off the top of my head, like what the data is for Oran Park. But I can comment on the like, airport. Airport, yep. airport generally and train stations and public schools like just because mm-hmm. there's a public school there or a new one coming in that has no sort of direct correlation with capital growth same with train station i i mentioned this like a, a few years ago like around bella vista you know there was like that new train line in sydney and yeah, back then it's I think the norwest like, kind of yeah it's the norwest 2018 when did that get put in 2000 yeah, about 2018, yeah, yeah. 2018. Just kind of linking the North Shore to uh, North, yeah, over to goes up to went up to Chatswood and then you went out to I think that's exactly exactly. So everyone like a lot of people bought in Bella Vista around that time or, or thereabouts. You know, thinking new train station, like of course property prices are going to go up, and like literally they just were flat until of course the the post COVID boom. So you'd think like okay, new train station in a place that is so far away from the CBD, like surely that's a good thing. Like surely that's going to positively impact people's desire to move to Bella Vista there by improving demand. But it it didn't have any impact whatsoever. And of course, there's reasons for that, i.e. it still took the same amount of time to get into the city. It was just a different route, etc. And same with the airport. Like I used to be the head of strategy at Brisbane Airport Corporation. And like our view of, uh, I don't know if they've changed their view, but my view at least, um, was that the new airport is not really going to be like a full-fledged, you know, like booming airport in 2026. In fact, post-COVID, I don't even think it's going to open in 2026 anymore. may ramp up very slowly. So you've kind of got this like languishing airport, a bit like Gold Coast, maybe five, 10 years ago. Yep, Gold Coast had an airport, but it was like, it's kind of dead, right? So Look, yes, property prices around the um, airport have gone up. The zoning has changed. And that is the reason why they've gone up. Not so much because of like a big population drive. That doesn't mean Oran Park is bad, but I'm just trying to demystify some of the underlying factors. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, and, and in terms of I my my views, interesting, Josie, we have to get on to number two because we've got seven of these. We've got a Q&A. There's so many questions popping in. Um, so my quick um, TL 30-second view is, I think if you're buying an investment property in that area for that reason, and I haven't looked at data, this is purely, I, I used to sort of drive out that way or I used to live and sort of play cricket out that way. I think you, you're you're buying after a lot of people have already bought. So for, for that to be a viable investment, you have to assume that people have to keep coming into the area and paying more for that property. Um, so 
So I, I, and I think the median house price out there is probably a re hovering around the million, maybe a little bit more. And so it's all very kind of Legoland, not Legoland, but it's all the same sort of stock. So why is, if they build uh, 10,000 new property, more properties in the area, and they're going to sell them for 1.2, 1.3, whatever they're selling for, why is somebody then going to pay 1.1 or 1.2 for your existing property um, in, when, it, when, when that's sort of five years old? So I think a lot of that, is already priced in, and yes, you may go okay, but why? And the yield on it? What is the yield going to be? It might be like three and a half, four percent. Someone just so, posted here: Oran Park yield is two point eight four, so it's costing there you go. Like so, fifteen, I mean, twenty grand. I don't know. Time. Just like what? So if it, yeah. if you're not seeing capital growth, then what are you? So you're speculating? Uh, not speculating. Mm. Well, you are speculating somewhat that you will see capital growth because if you don't see that, then interest rates now at five percent. So yeah. well, this is the interesting thing about. Um, these type of assets that are sold, these house and land packages, they're sold with negative gearing in mind. So I thought we'd just mention a couple of the buzzwords, negative gearing, right? Um, uh, what, what's the other one? Uh, depreciation. There's a lot of depreciation. There's rental guarantees. Um, it's Those things are not necessarily a good thing. Like, do you want to lose a hundred dollars to make 30 cents back like lose a lose a dollar to make 30 cents back it doesn't really make much sense if the growth isn't going to be there on that side of the thing um anything else we should unpack on on house and land packages you guys think oh we could probably rip into it for a, a yeah, long, we, yeah. long time but... <laughs> yeah I, I, th I think we've been some relatively balanced um i mean somewhat balanced but um no, people loving this because I, I think it's i think it's great that we're able to talk to talk to these things so Shall we go on to number two, which is number two, dun, 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 retiring, being financially free in ten years? So, the way I'm going to frame this this particular one because a lot of a lot of people um, sort of talk about this is if you think that an average sort of salary just ticking along, um, buying, being going to be financially free in ten years, I think that's a wrong reason to be investing in this type of asset. I think the average sort of person to do it in ten years is probably not going to do it. It's going to be very hard for them. So, what are your thoughts on that, PK? Yeah, like I, you know, like people because they uh, don't like their nine to five, they, um, you know, like they're they're feeling pain in their current lifestyle environment and atmosphere. They sort of look for a escape. They look for a panacea. And then when they start seeing lots of Facebook ads and like testimonials of people achieving what they've achieved, they want to achieve that their confirmation bias starts kicking and they're like, yeah, well, I didn't believe it. The first Facebook ad, I didn't believe it. The first YouTube ad, but now I'm like bombarded. Like maybe it is possible. And this guy is saying it's possible. And this guy is on a golf course while recording the 30 second, like, you know, like, what do you call it? We've all seen that. The girl, the guy or the girl, because we, 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 women play golf and they play it very well too. They also, you know what I mean? So it's like they, 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 their brain kind of tells them like yes, and then they'll have a conversation with their husband or wife or whatever, and like they get lured into this kind of dark alleyway, and then they get effectively mugged. Like that is effectively what's happening, right? They're getting mugged. That sounds horrible, PK. Like, I, I, I mean, well, I do. I tell you what's worse is getting mugged is only a is a one time thing and it it hurts a little bit. You lose what's in your wallet, but when you get when you get taken advantage of by these kind of spruikers that have these crazy ten year retirement plans, you're getting mugged of your life savings. So I'd much rather be mugged 
in the short term and get hit like that, then what actually happens when you go it's through neither, these? Joe. Neither. My, my option well, there I'm is seeing, option like, C. I don't want either of those. Yeah. I'm even seeing posts about people that are saying retire with property in three years. Guys, when you buy a property, nothing changes in your life. When you buy a second property, nothing changes in your life. When you have a third, three years in, five years in, nothing changes. It pretty much stays the same, except you've got a little bit of admin on the back end that you have to work with, but it takes a long time to build up substantial wealth within property. There's no quick win and easy fixes. And anyone that says you can retire in 10 years, it really depends. You can retire. If you have $2 million and you leverage up to 80%, you can probably retire in 10 years. I think you could do some smart decisions, get involved with some developments, get into some joint ventures, and you could build up that wealth base to then capitalize and then get out in 10 years. So basically what you're you're saying is you have to, if you want to get financially free in 10 years of property, you have to work. You can't just, you can't just buy property and expect to be financially free in 10 years. Because retirement means cash flow, right? It doesn't mean like five five million in the bank. It means cash flow, yearly 100K or 150K. And I don't think what people realize, obviously you guys know, right, that property is a pretty terrible yielding asset. Like it, it yields pretty terrible. As, as a net, net yeah. you know, 6% gross yield is considered to be good. Net, that's like not much at all, especially with current interest rates. And so what's the only attractive thing about property, sorry, not the only, but one of the most attractive thing about property is the ability to leverage. The more you leverage, the more debt, good debt you take, the more properties you own, in 20 years, 15 years, whatever, you can sell some and be debt-free, then that's when the cash flow boosts. It's like a hockey stick because there's no debt on it. But to be able to get that many properties, you need income, right? You need to be able to service the borrowing capacity. So I think like it's very easy to say like 10 properties in 10 years, like, yeah, that's great. But most people can't get past two or three properties in the first two or three years. Like It takes them another three years to be able to work their LVR down, get their cash flow, mm-hmm. they get promoted in their career, then they can get their fourth one. So it takes like, I don't know, what's your experience? Um, go like, you know, I probably think it takes 10 years to even, you know, pass through the acquisition phase of a, I, of a person. I, I would say so. So I'm actually, I'll share my screen right now. And I don't know how well this is going to go because I don't know how visually... No, we're not going to role play, but this is this is a platform that I use to go through strategy sessions with people around around um, uh, building out property. So, just a high level, quick set. So, this is an average person on an average average salary, and we are purchasing five properties. These addresses are fake, so ignore them. We are purchasing five properties over five years, and here over here is the equity position. Um, so the value of the property. So you can see here, as we are buying throughout the years, the equity and value increases. But you can see here is the cash flow. So you can see negative 10, negative 12, negative 15. That yellow is the target and the green is what we're looking to get to. But it takes five acquisitions at 5% growth and 5% yield. So average, on average, property has grown about 6.9% um, year on year, and but if we have it, if we win at the lowest level, we'll win in you know in a in a better environment. For so those, for those watching the podcast, I'm sorry about them. Um, you can you can imagine a whole bunch of really sexy graphs on a screen. 
Yeah, very sexy graphs, very sexy charts. But you can see in 10 years, this is starting pretty much from well, having two, two properties already and ending up with um, five, that in 10 years' time, we'll have $4 million portfolio, um, but we'll still be negative. We'll, we'll have $20,000 in cash flow. It's going to take us until 2024 to hit our goal. But this is where the, yeah, the value of property grows. So at 2042, we're going to have a $6 million portfolio. And in 30 years' time, we'll have a $10 million portfolio. What are the, um, what are the assumptions on that growth? Is that a 5% growth? Or what, what are we 5% growth rate, 5% okay. yield, rent increases at 5%, 92% occupancy rate, interest rates at 5%. So that's average throughout the, the entire time. Inflation at 2.5, you can increase and decrease as you go along. But there's a couple of basic basic assumptions. Um, but here is one of the most important charts because I've kind of forced this. This is the borrowing capacity. So a person on these type of on this type of salary would actually not be able to purchase this many properties because their borrowing capacity and their debt to income ratio would be o overextended. So you would actually have to spread this out between the next 10 years, like PK was saying, to acquire them. Um, so your debt to income ratio doesn't over go over i so, love these charts because they're so quantifiable like you know it's like i feel that in property we talk a lot but unless there's like a, a chart unless there's like data points that people can run sensitivities on it's it's hard for them to really know what's possible like, and one of the questions i always get is like what's possible for me and mm. if you don't know what's possible then you just fall back on oh wouldn't it be nice to get three properties in three years or wouldn't it be my, nice to make 100k yeah. in 10 years i want 10 properties in 10 years that's what i that's what i want and it's it's something good to aim for but it has to have some meaning behind it like you know you, there has to be what do you actually want like i want to retire on a beach no you don't you you want some time with the kids you want time to do whatever you want but um yeah seeing it laid out and at a minimum base, at 5% growth and 5% yield, it is possible, but it does take time. So absolutely, if you think you're going to retire in 10 years, maybe property investment is not for you and you should not be buying property in this day and age. Yeah, we get this question. No, no, I think the other, the other thing that we sort of touched on slightly is um, at, at the 10-year mark, and, and I think you you alluded to a PK, is your, you've still got maybe, I don't know, 45, 50% LVR on it as well. I don't know what the – because the principal is sort of – you're not paying off as much of the principal up – I mean, depending on how much you've got in the offset, but you, you you start to really hammer off the principal. Look, some people go interest only, and if they are, then that's up to them. But assuming you're paying P&I, you're actually reducing that debt, um, then you're not really going to see, as, as Joe illustrated in his graphs, so it's probably about 15 years in it, Joe, maybe 15, 18 years to start to see a, a bigger growth in that if you bring those charts back up. Or when does it start to really kick off? Uh, it really starts to kick off. So this is the chart that you, we're most interested in here. So this is our, let's just go into I want the equity. Passive, right? passive income, yeah. isn't it? Oh. oh, you want passive income? Yeah, I don't um, know equity, mate. I can't, I can't live off equity. I mean, I can't really live off equity. Yeah, okay, cool. I mean, I can. So this is, this is it here. Um, so it really starts to kick off. Like you, you're making 168,000. You're doing pretty good, um, yeah. but this is inflation-adjusted money. Okay. So, the, so these numbers, everyone's like, oh, it's not inflation. Yeah, it is inflation. And that's, so that's buying five properties in five years, though, is it? And and that's that's um that's that's gross income, right? So that's not that's not after. No, no, this, no, no, this is after all expenses. 
Is it? It's net income. Yeah. Net income. Yeah, this is because we're paying we're paying down debt. We're putting savings into our offset. Um, we are um, putting savings into our offset here. It's growing um, wow. and it's paying us an income. It's very similar to my math. Like, um, you know, those of you who are my clients and are watching, you'll know that, you know, it, it takes at least 13 years, right, to, to get a six-figure passive income for the average person. So yeah. it, it's kind of, it, it kind of corroborates with, with what you're saying. So, unfortunately, we're crushing some great dreams here. But, and, and I think the, the people who... So don't invest, be, right? Like if you, if you want to... Don't invest. To answer the question because everyone's like, oh, what's the topic of the, of the live stream? Well, that's the answer. Don't invest if you want that outcome in like five years or two years or eight years, it's going to take time. Yeah. And un unless you can, you can go all Charlie Vailer and, and, and smash out the, the income sort of side of things and which, which is kind of no. it's not cheating, but yeah, it's sort of, but it's not, it's not because if you work, if you're already 10 years invested in property, absolutely. You can retire in 10 years. It's that, what is that equity that you're starting with? What is that capital that you're starting with? Because yeah. if you do have a million dollars, you're going to do far better capital, like compounding year on year. So if you are 45 years old, you've been working in a corporate job, you've got $180,000, you own your own home, you've paid that sucker off and you're like, what am I, how am I actually going to retire? Because I've got this massive property here, but it's not, maybe you can leverage into property and go into it, but um, that's not financial advice. You know. Can I also say stuff. something a bit controversial? You, you brought yeah. up the Charlie example. Yeah. Like if you're starting with two mil in the bank, or three mil in the bank, I would yeah. argue, and you're looking to retire, like you're looking to transform that capital into cash flow. I would argue, don't put it in property. You can oh. put it in, none of this is financial advice, right? You can get much higher get yielding safe asset classes to put that in. So I, I would argue if, if I put on my Charlie hat, like I would have done things differently if you don't care about the growth. He might've cared about the growth, I don't know. Um, but well, in all in all fairness, if you have two million dollars at six percent return, that's one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, paying you just every single year. So, but is you're it right? Is it? Sorry, I know this is not meant to be a fight, but <laughs> not like last time, Joe. Anyway, you can turn uh, into a fight. But exactly. uh, it's, it's not like just just once again, just to kind of the enemy of is of the of my enemy is my friend. Like it's not yielding 6%, right? Like we're not talking commercial here. We're talking residential 6% yielding assets are probably what 3% net after you take away if, or three and a half percent net after lucky, yeah. PM. Keep in mind, you have to do some renovation every now and then uh, for yeah. a property over the long term. You, you got, um, what is it? Like council fees, insurance seems to be going up. So like it, my exact like net calculation may be wrong, but it's, I would say commercial, even commercial these days, like net is not 6% for a good quality asset. Hmm. What to speak no. of resi. Yeah. No. yeah. That, let's, and let's, let's kick on to number three. Let's do it because okay. I'm, I'm trying to keep us on task. You should always okay. buy property. Buy, buy, buy. Should we? What, what, if somebody has this mindset, should they, should they be buying property right now? Should you always buy property? Buy, buy, buy. Um, I think you should, oh man, this is like, you're killing my business here. But like the honest answer is like, if you only are looking at a certain budget and if you're only looking at a particular city or state, then there are times where you should just like point blank, not buy property because the data is not always good for a lot of places. Like 
every Tuesday I do mentoring calls. And um, I think last Tuesday I was telling my my members that honestly, guys, I don't see any decent locations under 400k in Victoria. Full stop. Right, like full stop. So if your brief is always, I want to buy a property. I want to buy in Victoria. My budget's yeah. 400k. Buy, 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 buy. It's always a good time to buy. Like my humble opinion, based on data, is that no, like for for that brief, like just wait. You know, maybe wait eight months, ten months. Don't buy. But the reason for that um, is a reason for that because the locations where it's under 400, there's just not enough sort of. Um, there's not enough reason for those areas to be have long-term fundamentals. Is that sort of why? And and the long-term, like basically every place in Australia does very similar over the long-term, like 20, 30 years. The reason I say that about Victoria and in, in specifically in that price bracket, it's nothing to do with that price bracket per se, like, poor, like mm -hmm. cheap properties perform badly or anything like that. Actually, it's, it's the opposite. It's that the short-term data doesn't point to any you know fantastic growth in the short term in fact it points the other way so you know like there's that common saying of people who invest in crypto buy the dip it's not quite like that in property but if something's going down i know in the long term it's going to go up but like why are there all these property spruikers saying buy 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 because on the long term it always goes up when in the short term it'll go down so why not wait like what, what's the harm in waiting now the, wait, the, wait, the other side of the thing is like well there's always a good place to buy in australia I completely agree with that. So it's not, you know, should you buy now? It's, well, you should always buy, but particularly only in areas that are perhaps really far away from you because it might be there that the short-term data is good. Do, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, for, for example, if my budget is 400K, or I'm, I'm not buying anywhere in, in, the, in the Illawarra or any pretty much anywhere. Like I can't, you, you're going to need a budget of at least six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred 800, 900K. And then you're sort of compromising on a yield potentially. So yeah, go on, Joe. Yeah, it doesn't. It just it's and this, but this is the hardest thing, right? You're a you're an investor, and I want to buy in my backyard because that's where I'm comfortable. But as soon that this is like a mental mindset shift that people have to kind of get over the hump of I'm not going to buy in my backyard because I don't think it's the best location to buy in. But the problem with that is. It opens up all of Australia. All of a sudden, it's like, oh my gosh, I've okay. I know that I'm not going to buy in in Cronulla where I live because of this reason. Because one, you know, I can't afford a house. I can't afford this. Okay, great. So what am I going to do? I'm going to buy interstate, but it's very challenging because, like, where do you actually? How do you even get started into that? How do you even go to buy, buy, buy? Yeah, exactly. It's like the people who. Uh, and, you know, you can't fault them because I, I was the same, right? Like, is it a good time to invest in the stock market? Well, the ASX 300 has 300 stocks. You know, there's always ones that are going to go up in COVID. There was ones that got trashed and ones that you would have become a millionaire on. So property is the mm -hmm. same, right? There's each suburb is a stock. And like you said, Joe, it's like, oh, man, I'm living in Sydney and Melbourne. Like PK is saying or the, you know, Joe is saying or this person saying that Perth is the best um, you know place to buy right now. Like I just can't stomach buying. I, half I, was, I, was, I was listening to uh, Tim Lawless the other day and he was talking about the, the middle decade of the last 30 years in Perth absolutely skyrocketed. So and then just absolutely did nothing for and went backwards in some parts. And yeah. this yeah. question that's just. Sorry, just this question that's just come up, I thought it was really, really worthwhile to bring up because it says, but sometimes True. if you wait for a while, your serviceability may be affected due to various reasons, kids, 
your dependence, interest rates rising, um, you lose your job. And this is where the question comes up of, hey, should I buy or should I wait? What should I do? Um, what do you, what is your answer to that, PK, if someone comes to you with that kind of question? Well, I think you should, like we said before, it's always a good time to buy. Like I'm buying right now myself as long as you know where and how, like to the point of, you know, interstate and everything no like that. No boots on the ground, eh? <laughs> Let's not get into boots on the ground. But, um, but um, you know, like if your, you know, wife is, uh, you know, going to go on um, – Maternity so leave and your or your like, husband because yeah, or your, sometimes yeah, some, yeah, sometimes these non-binary, days, the, non-binary here like anyone right? Um, well, the female but, can be the main breadwinner as well. <laughs> I'm okay. Just, just, just make sure you're buying something with high cash flow and make sure that your inter- if you're going interest only, your interest only period is not coming up for expiry in that time when your serviceability is shot, right? So yeah. like I I get that question um, absolutely, but there's ways to mitigate it as well. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because oh, you go, Joe. Yep. Yeah, well, I was, having, yeah, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about, about this and I sort of said we we're talking about a particular purchase that, that a person had made and, and they sort and we sort of said, yes, whilst, whilst we may not have bought in that particular location, it was sort of North, North Queensland somewhere. However, if this person isn't necessarily going to increase their income, then maybe at, at the time, if they're not expecting to double their income, then how are they, like if they wait for three years or whatever it is to buy in blue chip or, or an area that where it's sort of considered more um, desirable, then by that stage, the, that property in that area, we may have already seen straight to the level off and, and dip a little bit. And so people may have already started to buy in the area that is more desirable and then they're missing out because they haven't. So, mm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's, it's if, if you're ready to buy now, I would say, and you're, you've got the money, you've got the finance, you're ready to go, I would say just go ahead and pull the trigger on a good location. Do the research, get educated first, and then go out there and make it happen. Because if people are trying to time the market and wait, the market's not, it's not just an up and down thing. It is an up and down thing for 15,000 suburbs where some are going up and some are going down and you need to choose the locations that are going up. But your situation can change at whatever time. You can get fired, you can lose your job. You you accidentally, I had a, I had a friend, um, he said, guess what? We're pregnant. And I was like, wow, that's a surprise. He's like, yeah, it's the it's terrible. Like, <laughs> this is the worst. It's it's ruined a lot of things for us. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't, sorry. Not congratulations. What do I say in that situation? But you never know what comes up. And he's like, I need to buy property now because I only have a nine-month window before I have another dependent and I'm unable to buy property again. So anytime, just jump in, but make sure, yeah, you Cross the T's. And what else are you going to do with the money anyway, right? Like you're going to put it in a term deposit or you're going to put it in the stock market or crypto or even the bank. Like you're not going to get well off by not investing. Well, yeah, inflation's at 6.9%, dropped from 7. Point, what was it? 7. Point 7. whatever. 3. So that's good inflation. Inflation is going down 7.3, it's got down. But if you put 3% in the bank, you get 3% from the bank, inflation is running at 7% you're still losing money. So if you have $100,000 in the bank in a year's time, it's going to be worth seven. Was it $700 left? It's not. Joe shouldn't do that. It's worrisome. Do, don't do public math. We don't do public math here. <laughs> and, 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 and go and speak to your financial advisor and all that sort of stuff. Not that we, yeah. People with licenses and stuff. Let's do it. Number number four. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurry us up a little bit here. Oh, Buying speaking of Will mean you rake in the cash. I, I just I was thinking on the fly here with that term, but what are your thoughts on that, PK? 
What were you? Yeah, like um, this is a good one. It's sort of close to my heart because I'm actually in the market for one right now. But I, I did a video on it as well. Um, like these days, I think because there's more education and content on commercial, everyone sort of thinks commercial is better than Resi, better cash flow, you get the capital growth, et cetera, et cetera. Like the reality is that <clears throat> commercial property markets are, you know, in terms of growth, are basically dictated by the spread between the official cash rate and the cap rate, right? So the cap rate is like the yield on the on the commercial asset, like, you know, like just like residential yield. So like, you know, let's say interest rates go up by 2%, which they have, right? They're going to um, or in the past, then commercial property must come down. Like it's, it, I don't care if it's like in this prime spot. I don't care if it's in medical. I don't care if a dentist has just put a million dollar fit out in it. Commercial property must come down. Like, cause that is the way that it is valued. Doesn't care. I don't care. Like if I don't value it that way or a buyer's agent doesn't value it that way or someone else, that's how it's valued. Right. So right now, to the point of should we buy property right now or not, I don't think for most, I'll go as far as to say most price ranges and most types of commercial assets, this is not the right time to buy. Okay, let, let me kind of qualify that as well. Can, can we, can we, I got a question here. Over what value commercial are we talking about? Because that's an interesting one, isn't it? What are we? Yeah, I think that's kind of what you're going to differentiate on now, PK. Sorry, so go on. Where are you going? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll try to get to that. Good good question as well. Um, so, like, a, there's this kind of um, theory that rents are rising, you know, massively low vacancy rates, especially in industrial, like, let's say, in Brisbane or Perth and this and that. And so, therefore, rents are rising. Therefore, commercial property prices will hold up. Cap rates or yields will, you know, have a floor under them. That's not how it works because, like, rents – are like a minuscule portion compared to the interest repayments on the debt. You know, the debt, let's say a million dollars, or let's say two million dollars or three million dollars, the debt is huge. Like let's say 65%, right? Normal LVR for commercial. The yeah. rent going up, I guess five, six, seven percent rent rise, even though in percentage terms it seems really higher than the interest rate rises, in absolute terms, it's very small. So the erosion of value in the commercial property is huge because interest rates are killing it compared to how much rents are rising. Just mathematically, like, you know, I won't do YouTube math or live math, Facebook math, but like, this is just a reality. And in terms of like, which price ranges, I honestly think that under million dollars, under one and a half million dollars is a, you know, there's always markets and markets, always exceptions, right? 2%. Mm. But there's always, there's, it's such a high risk place or time to be buying commercial property and the reason is because unemployment, the effect of interest rate rises on the real economy is delayed by actually, if you look at the statistics, unemployment is one year lagging, right? One, one year, year lagging. Why, why, is it such a, why is it such a lag though? Why, why do people make, because, they, because businesses try and tough it out or what? Why is it? Yeah, like no one likes to lay off people, right? So initially they're living off the fumes of the previous boom. This is businesses, you know, revenue still good. And maybe six months later, revenue starts to dry up. So they stop having office Christmas parties or free drinks on Fridays or what have you. The last thing they do is lay off people because it's not fun, right? And so there's this lagging effect. Under $1.5 million commercial property is small business owners. These are not national tenants like a KFC. These are not like big, 
you know, like robust war chest, you know, heavy asset or, you know, working capital type of um, businesses. They don't have a huge buffer. These are small mom and dad businesses. And they're the ones that when they can't pay rent, they just don't pay rent because they can't. Whereas a, a mm. business, like I have a, one of my um, commercial properties as a national op- optrician, you know, if they are struggling, like they'll still figure it out because they've got like 20 branches all over Australia. Like they can, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul ex- you know, from different locations. So I think the, mm. the brunt of this higher interest rate cycle is going to be felt by the real economy, especially in unemployment, especially in um, to small business owners about six to 12 months from now. So yes, in that time frame, you bought a commercial property worth a million dollars, 700K, you're getting that cash flow. But in the same time, you're posing, you've got that additional risk of what will happen over the horizon and the property is dropping in value. That's, that's a reality. That's, that's actually what's happening. Yeah. And you're kicking out a lot of investors at that higher range as well. You're kicking out a lot of wannabe investors and mum and dad investors that are fighting over the 700, 800, the, the 900, because you're going on that next tier, which is purely just business to business transactions because people want this more secure secure asset out of curiosity pk what type of um what do you what do you what are you looking for in your commercial property like what do you what do you need it to be yeah like i'll be honest like i don't profess to be like a guru in commercial or anything like that but i've like looked at data is not that credible in commercial in terms of longevity and historical data but i've got my hands on what i can and that's where these inferences are coming from but honestly, I'm learning on the fly. Like I'm in the range of kind of three million plus, uh, and I was like, my hypothesis was that the people who are buying three million dollar plus properties are perhaps a little bit well off. It's a business to business relationship. National tenants can with, um, withstand the storm. But what I'm seeing on the ground, like when I say on the ground, calling agents and things, mostly in places like Melbourne, um, Perth, Brisbane. Like even these agents, like there was this um, agent, I was looking at a, um, oh, what's that, comp- what's the, it's like a plumbing, it's like the competitor to Reese, um, it's like a plumbing Mid- company. Midis? Hey? Midis? No, no, it's, a, it's, it's another one. Anyway, it's like a, it's a big company um, owned by Fletcher Building in New Zealand. So it's a multinational company. They do like faucets and plumbing supplies. Guys, I'm drawing a blank here. I only know Reese. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's, in, it's in Camp Hill. Great link. Um, blue chip suburb in Brisbane. And like I was talking to the agent, right? And the agent's like, oh, you know, I think this is a good deal. And it was like a new agent I could tell because his voice was a bit high-pitched, a bit like mine. Didn't sound and very like, convincing. This is a good yeah. deal. And he was like, you know, like this is a good deal because Great. six months ago this would have um, gone for, for four mil and right now it's about three and a half mil. And I'm like, well, oh, that that actually tells me that the value is sliding, that the cap rate has gone from about 5.5, this is Brisbane, to about 6. And I was like, what do you think about this in the future? Like, I was just putting on the spot. He's like, oh, you know, like, I'm trying to condition the owners, but I reckon in another six (laughs) months this will go for 3 mil. I'm like, what? Why are you telling me this? Like, you're the sales agent. Don't don't tell me this. And I'm seeing this again and again and again. This was like a revelation. I'll call you me. in six months, mate. We'll, we'll pay. We'll pay two point seven in six months' time. Let's let's sign the contract exactly. now. Exactly. And I'll do. I'll put a due diligence clause that expires twenty eight days after that six month period. 
And then, yeah, and then exactly. we'll negotiate like, that off. So hey, many, I think man. that's the time when there's so many deals potentially to be had. So is it the best time to buy property right now? Even in commercial, I think, you know, you can always snag a bargain. You can always get a fantastic deal. But if you don't know what you're doing or if you're just going by the rhetoric of the content that you consume, then you're, you know, if I bought that property um, right now, like I'd pay maybe three and a half mil for it, get about a 6% cap. Yeah, I'm making like hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash flow. But for an expensive property, three mil plus, like a sh slight shift in cap rate from six to 6.5, like that's hundreds of thousands of dollars I can save, yeah, yeah. right? Mm. Well, and, and I think you're, you're hitting on, and the reason why investors are doing this and people are doing this is because they want to get, people are, are uncertain where interest rates are going. As in, we, we don't, like, we, we have some suspicion that, yes, it'll slow down. It won't keep going up to, the cash rate won't go to 4% or 45 But if it does, then a commercial investor wants to get rewarded for the risk that they're taking on buying into a business. So instead of buying a 6% net yield, which is if interest rates go to 6%, you're basically sort of, you're paying, you look, you might still have that. But they want to see an 8% net yield. And for that to happen, the rent's not going to increase fast enough. So you're going to have to then sort of reduce the price, which is yield compression. Yeah. We'll, we'll live and learn with this. Like there's someone saying here in the Facebook that I'm wrong. Um, and he's saying, sorry, I'm specifically talking about the industrial market. Um, oh, with yeah, this. He's yeah. saying industrial sheds, 5% cap rates are the best investments on earth. Like respectfully, and you may know more than me that I, I don't know you. Small but industrial like, sheds. Three years ago, you're buying those at at eight percent cap rate, right, and that yeah. was where the market was in equilibrium. So, like, it, it's the hottest market right now, industrial. <laughs> but does that mean that we're at the top of the market? Like Sydney a year ago, like everyone wanted to get into Sydney because everyone was just printing money. But when everyone's yeah. doing that, is that the right time to be buying? Yeah. At what point do the cap rates get to five and a half, five, four, five, and then all of a sudden you're buying commercial to lose money? Um, one of the things I think is worthwhile, um, I've just posted in the comments, oh, PK did apparently, The Wealth Code by Grant. I didn't have it. No, I, I <laughs> yeah, posted it. Yeah, it's because it connected to the stream. Um, but I've just posted this. If you Google this and write free PDF, it's a fantastic book that goes is through. Grant um, or is it Grant Carter? Grant and no, Grant Antone, and he talks all about the um, he talks all about leverage and the difference between the spread on commercial properties and how that stuff works. Because I think we went really deep into the commercial property world, and I think it's very important that if you are thinking about commercial, get educated and get on top of that. Goes to my point right at the beginning, right? Like my quote: "Only a fool plays a game without knowing the rules and who the players are first. So get educated is, Does it feel is a little always. Yeah, oh, I, I wanted to um, for PK with buyers agents and that. Um, what's what's that PK? Um, I, I just wanted to. So Brian, I, I love the contributions that Brian has each and every week. Like your support is phenomenal, Brian. Thank you for and yourself and Lisa. Um, he says, does it really matter if value, if the value goes down if you are getting the income hold long term or hodl, depending on which um, persuasion investment you want to look at? H O D L. Um, yeah, if you know, you know. Um, does it so does it? Yeah, I, I think it does, Brian, but I can see your point. Uh, I, I can elaborate, but what do you think, PK? No, it's a, it's a good point, right? And like, honest, maybe if you don't really care about being like laser precise with with your investments, then it doesn't really matter. You know, like, I've, you know, of course, 
you know, notwithstanding what I said about small business owners going to maybe, you know, yeah. struggle in the next year or so. Um, but yeah, like the reason it would matter is if you can get the same asset, just like I was talking about, I could probably get that same 3.5 million asset for 3 million in six <laughs> months time. And so the cash flow is the same. It's just the yield will be higher. So it's like, I've just effectively made myself two years of rental income because it was giving around 250k mm -hmm. a year. Um, you know, also reduce how much deposit you, I mean, you're not going to reduce the deposit yeah. you need by that much, but. Well, I mean, at, at a point like this, his question does ring true. Like we had Steve McKnight on last night and anyone uh, last week and whoever doesn't know Steve McKnight, multimillionaire, great, does property, bought 260 properties. He owns commercial property that's spitting off $500,000 cash flow, free cash flow every single year, but he owns them 100% debt free. So at this point, he doesn't care what the value of the property is because he just cares about what rent flow. He but probably doesn't like it going point. down though, but I'm sure he doesn't he like doesn't, it going well, down. Well, it's the same rent. If he's getting the same rent, the you know doesn't really. Yeah. Well, the the, the other the other thing is um, we'll get, we'll get on to the next thing. I'll finish off on this. Uh, we've it only matters really, Brian, if you're a I'm, I don't know, everybody if you're a forced seller because imagine if you if you lose your job, you don't have that buffer in place, and then yeah, sure you're getting the income, but if you can't then continue if 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 goes to custard as Stephen and I said, then you're a forced seller in that market. Then you. Let's just say you've leveraged up a little if you get the 80%. Like it's probably not as much mushrooms in commercial. But let's just say worst case scenario, really like the values, you can't sell it for what you need to. And you just like what happens then? Do you then sort of are you do you sort of have to try and hold it out somehow? Like I don't know. That's that's the kind of I mean, so it's worst case, it's apocalyptic. So probably not a major scenario, but yeah, just something to consider. Hmm. Rent vesting. Helps you create financial freedom. I'm interested in your thoughts on this one because how how does it not PK? Like, why should if you think that why shouldn't you be buying property? Well, before you before we go into that, PK, can you explain what rent vesting is? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Just give a high high level overview for people that don't know what rest, rent vesting is, and um, that'd be that'd be great. Yeah, I'll try my best. So I think rent vesting is I did it myself. So it's like when you rent uh, for a period of time simultaneously using your savings to buy investment properties. So you could have like two, three, four, five, six investment properties whilst at the same time renting. So it's like, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just buy your own home if you've got all that cash, right? The whole theory behind rent vesting is that in that way, you only have good debt. You only have deductible debt. And deductible debt is generally better for your borrowing capacity than bad debt. In other words, non-deductible mm -hmm. debt. Your borrowing capacity is stretched by having investment properties as opposed to your PPOR. You know, so that that's kind of the theory yeah. behind it. And a lot of people who, you know, like let's say in in Sydney or Melbourne, and they're like, ah, oh, you know, I, I want to buy something for one and a half million. And right now I don't have as much um, as that to be able to get it. Instead, I'm going to put my funds to use. I'm going to use my money, put it to work. Have. And, and mm. that way in the future, I can get a passive income and, and, um, and a PPR that I want to live in. That's what rent is. Yeah. And just, and just to tack on to the end of that, it's you live in the lifestyle location that you want to live in by renting there. Because you can't afford to buy there. So I live in I live in Cronulla. If I want to live in a house in Cronulla, I need $3 million. So I'm going to instead invest in properties around Australia to build up a portfolio that I can then, like I have, I see this all the time. Investors, 
we've got people, we've got investors that don't care about investing. They just want to buy a house in Sydney. So they have to go out there. They say, I realize with a salary of 100 grand, my wife with 80, if we continue down this trajectory and prices keep going up, we're not going to be able to afford. So we have to build a portfolio. Then I want to sell that portfolio down to be able to afford a house in Sydney. Um, but essentially, you rent in a lifestyle location that you'd love to live in, and that allows you to invest the capital that you have in a market that may be growing. Because what are the chances that the best location to be buying in is the one that you're sitting in? Probably pretty low. Um, so that sounds positive, though. Like, I thought I thought we're looking at why we shouldn't be buying. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was hard to argue against it because, like, the house that I'm sitting in right Wait, now. Should, should I, did I mess that up? Should that have been the other property. way? Rent yeah, vesting no. at its best is when you live at home. It's <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, best version of rent vesting. Absolutely. Sorry, go on, PK. No, I was just saying that I think rent vesting is becoming more difficult. Let, let me know what you guys think as well because it's a, I don't have like concrete data to prove this, but rent vesting is becoming more difficult going forward as opposed to the last five or ten years. And I think one reason is that in the last five or ten years, rents, have you seen that stat where it said like rents have risen by like maybe even 20 to 30% in the last 10 years? Yeah. Whereas like in the last year and probably for the next one or two years, they're going to rise by I don't know, like 30, 40%. Yeah. So rent vesting works, but if that lifestyle location that you want to live in, Bondi or Manly or whatever it is, like your rent is going that much higher, then there comes a point where it's actually cheaper to buy than to rent, in which case mm. rent vesting, like the Ooh, math, if, and I everyone should actually do the math. It doesn't add up anymore. Mm. There's like there's a threshold, you know, rents, if rents are X, rent vesting works for the next five years, 10 years. If rents are X plus Y, like the arithmetic just doesn't add up anymore. And I think we're getting to that, you know, not in every location and every, every situation, but in some instances. So I see, um, I see what you're saying there, PK, because you, you've gone, you've gone. What you're saying is because rent has become that much more expensive. Therefore, you're not. So you've, you're essentially you're not uh, creating spare capacity for you to invest, and therefore, so you're not mm. not really doing any any of either. You're not, you're not. Dec rents have ridden sixty percent in the last five in Hobart in the last five years. This is a good one. That's why I clicked that um, uh, for you, for you guys. But um, it's like if you were rent vesting in in Hobart and you're like, oh, I can't invest in, I can't buy in Hobart three or four or five years ago, and you started buying in other places. Yeah, you'd be kicking yourself. Like you would have rather just bought your PPR in Hobart five years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Hobart's a bit bit interesting one though. It's it might be a little yeah, it might be a tough to rent Hobart now. But. Yeah, so I see what you're saying, and and obviously in in the higher and the more expensive, like the million dollar properties, a million dollar suburbs plus, your rent is is probably going to be still a lot cheaper to in the Cronulla, in Joe's example, or even some some sort of even yeah. But, but you can't afford to like you can't afford to buy in Cronulla, so you haven't got a choice. You have to go further afield. You have to go out into Western Sydney. This is this is what people did as well, and I think it actually owns true to what people used to do. People used to go and live in Sydney with their parents, and they'd have this amazing home. But to afford, they'd go and get their white picket fence property, and they would have to go out really far west. But it disconnected the family because they're so far out west. They're like, actually, I really want to be close to mom and dad, but I've got this, I've got this massive house and this massive mortgage. So, like, there are definitely downs. Like, one of the one of the things is first home buyers grant. So, I think it's worthwhile mentioning if you are a first home buyer, 
if you, sorry, if you are an investor and your first, so I did this, I invested in my first property as an investment property. I gave up any future opportunity to be able to use a first home buyer's grant. So you do also, also have to factor in, in, in all cases, Is unless nationwide you, though. Oh, I don't know. In New South Wales, at least good point. Yeah. Check with your local, whatever, um, local state, um, I don't know where my point was going with that, but you do sacrifice that. But for me, it was there was more money to be made outside of that rather than going living in Western Sydney, disconnected from everyone. I want to live where I want to live, and I want to invest where I want to invest. Yeah. So then they have and Zoom I'm- back in the day, Joe. But um, no, what, what I think what you might have been saying, Joe, was were you going to throw a tip out there from Maxi Phelps about using the using the trusts? Is that what you're about to say? Yeah, have a chat with Max Phelps about trusts and and well, he's, retaining he's not- your. Speak to your accountant and, and then your broker, but yeah. 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 And because there is there are potentially ways to keep a tr- keep a prop keep your first home buying opportunity by buying your first property in a trust and then buying the real inv- PPOR in your name. But that is not financial advice. And you need to speak to your accountant, you need to speak to your financial planner. But Max Phelps knows all about it. So have a chat with him. <laughs> I, I think anyway. that people should only be rent vesting if um if they like just flat out can't afford to buy where they want to live, right? If they're just on the edge, if they can afford it, but they'd ideally want their dream home, like, uh, you know, like you just got to sacrifice a little bit, but if they can afford to buy where they live and that's where they want to live, I think just buy your PPOR, um, you know, and and slowly pay that down. This is not what most like investment okay. companies will tell you because they want people to buy investment properties, but that's honestly my opinion. But if you can't you afford it, like most people you can't. You don't quite know the break-even point? I think you said, I, I just thought of throwing no, didn't, so he didn't know that. He didn't know the yeah. break-even point. Yeah, um, what, what, I mean, it depends on the suburb and the income and borrowing capacity. Like it's a personalized thing, right? Now, this is a question for you, Jeff. If I have a $500,000 PPOR or I have a $5,000 investment property, which is going to hamper my borrowing capacity more? Only well, the PPOR. PPOR. So a principal place of residence, right? So that's that's the negative side of, of doing what you're talking about, PK. I live in Western Sydney. My family's in Western Sydney. I love Western Sydney. I can buy a house for $500,000 here. But it's still owning that principal place of residence hampers your borrowing ability because you're not able to borrow as much money because, one, you're getting rental income from your um, your property. Um, and you're you are getting uh, you are paying you're not paying rent on your peop- on your principal place of residence. Um, that that so that, that, that assumes that assumes Joe that you're not renting in an area where it's um yeah. So it all comes back to PK's argument. If it, if you can go and rent, that's pretty cheap. Or if you, if you where you want to rent, it's like eight hundred bucks a week, and and you can buy in an area that's cost yeah. So it's kind of yeah. But yeah, like cool. rent vesting is still good. I just think it works less well. Um, yeah, it used to work fantastic than it, back in than the day. what it used to. Mm-hmm. Like, no one yeah. wants to get a PPO and then be stuck in a prison job with, on a 30 year mortgage. You know, like, that's what people want to avoid. That's why they do rent vesting. But you got to model it out. Like, you got to actually see if the math stacks up before you just go with some flashy strategy. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Next one. What is the next reason why Paying you should off your not mortgage in seven to 10 years is easy? So, if you think this, I think maybe you need to rethink buying a property now and, and take take a step back and just maybe just think about it and, and maybe hear some of the stuff PK is about to say now. Yeah. Is it easy? Um, 
so like coming back to the guy on the golf course this is where i get oh, this stimulus from um, <laughs> i mean it's not it's not it's it's a lot of i, I see it out there it's there's, there's many companies saying this it's not it's not one purely one company sure no 100 and i'm actually like guilty i've got a youtube video on on this exact point as well um but so you're saying you can do it <laughs> well i was teaching how to do it if okay. it's possible in your situation but okay. um the, the point is that you know let's work through the mechanics so to pay off your mortgage in seven to ten years so let's say you've got a mortgage you've got that's five hundred thousand dollars of debt all right you're going to try to you want to try to pay that 500k off to do that what you need to find is perhaps three properties maybe four properties that will double in value in that seven to 10 year period by which you can, you know, in that time frame or after that time frame, sell them and then use that cash, that profit, you could say, after tax to pay off your principal place of residence. Like the theory, like what I've just said, it probably entices people and be like, yeah, I can do that. Like that's entirely possible. And probably think a lot of, of the, listeners have actually done it. Gonna pay though, PK. What about the tax? Like how much capital gains? Like how much are you just throwing down the drip? Oh, well, down. That, that's the thing. Like there's a few things that make it hard and make this kind of uh, sentence a little bit clickbaity. And I'm guilty of it as well. The first thing is exactly what you've said, that you'll be paying capital gains tax. Of course, you get the 50% discount and it depends with structure and et cetera that you buy in. But yeah, it's not quite as simple as that. You're paying tax when you sell the property. The other thing is that, we, and you, you know, Joe, you asked Jeff this exact question, which hurts your borrowing capacity more, PPOR or an investment property? You've already got a PPOR debt in this example. You've already got non-deductible bad debt so your ability and i'm just talking for the average person i'm not talking about the person who makes like 300k a year the average person who makes under 100k a year maybe household income 150 like they've got five hundred thousand dollars of bad debt on their ppr they can't even borrow enough to get those three to four investment properties by which they will double in seven to ten years time they'll sell a couple to pay the uh, 500k PPR debt off. Like the borrowing capacity is what limits the strategy. But on a piece of paper, it's very simple, right? By one, two, three, four. So that that's one thing. Um, that's the second thing. The third thing that makes this a little bit of a spooky statement is that the ability to create a deposit to actually buy four investment properties or three investment properties to be able to execute that 10-year strategy. Like that's a struggle, you know, interest rates are rising. I honestly don't think interest rates will rise much more than what they have at the moment, maybe one or two more rate rises, but notwithstanding that they're higher than what they were before. And so how are people going to not only pay principal and interest or even interest only on their PPOR simultaneously have these four investment properties, you know, that are, you know, yes, you can buy neutrally geared properties, but you need 20% deposit for that in this day and age. How are people going to come up with, let's say sixty, seventy thousand dollars deposit every single time in the next one or two years. Because remember that the strategy is based on holding the properties for them to double in seven to ten years. That means you need to buy them ASAP. Like you can't spread the acquisition over five or seven years. You need to buy them like in the first year, the second year, for them to be able to double in seven to ten years. So you know, like you're talking sixty, seventy thousand times four you know, for a deposit, like 
that $160,000, $200,000 deposit, like if you had that, then you just use that to pay half your principal place off anyway, right? So like, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Like one, two, three, yeah. th those three like really make it difficult in this. I'm not saying it's impossible and, you know, individual circumstances will allow it. I just think it's it's not something that people should say, I saw an ad, I saw someone do it two years ago, therefore I'm putting all my eggs in this strategy. Yeah, and I, and I think to be able to do it, you really have to be running an active strategy. There's no there's no passivity in, in able to do, being able to do this. You need to be running, if you want to make it in, do it via property. You need to be doing subdivisions, renovations, developments, doing active stuff that is growing value and then selling and then refinancing to be able to then move your money and, and pay down. Like there's no easy win for this for this game, unfortunately. Um, we're sounding pretty negative on property this uh, this session. It sounds <laughs> like we don't want people to buy. <laughs> well, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna put a title that says why you shouldn't buy real estate right now, you probably should actually talk a little bit about not buying property right now. Yeah. What about no, you, Jeff? It's Have you got any points like on that was the intention of the session, right? To like talk yeah. about the negatives. I, why not? I, 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 was, I was actually skeptical we could pull it off. I, I thought we'd actually kind of just end up saying, "No, nah, no, nah, we you can you can easily pay it off in seventeen years, mate. Just just buy a lot of property, like easy easy days. It's gonna." Um, yeah. My so my thoughts on this are, yeah, you, you definitely have to cons you have to look under the hood and sort of look at the assumptions that. And I love that people are having conversations and, and discussing it in, in the comments. Like hopefully people are learning and it looks like it's all pretty much mostly respectful. So I love that. Um, but paying it off, I, I, I suppose it's aspirational. So there, there is a, and this is why it's it can be so effective because in my mind, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can be part of that exclusive club that helps me. So I'm like, I love that you love, everyone loves a goal and gamification. So it's then when you see that, just understanding, well, mapping it out and modeling it for yourself and what it would take you specifically rather than just believing the the glossy uh, glossy sales pitch whoever it comes from yeah i love it do not believe the bull crap if it sounds too good to be true it probably is that's my new quote of, of this week we have one last statement oh we have one last reading. statement for the reason why you shouldn't be doing how, it. But how crazy is this? Over 320 people watching. Like this is just, this is absolutely blowing our viewership record. So it's, it's there insane. There we go. We had the go so, of being, having everything done for you. Joe, do you want to do <laughs> this one? You nailed that pitch. <laughs> the question, the statement is having everything done for you, which is one of these one-stop shop property people, right? Where you got a financial planner who then says, hey, you need to speak to our mortgage broker and our accountant. And then they're going to connect you with a buyer's agent who's going to connect you with a developer or builder who's then going to buy absolutely everything for you. So that is a reason why you should not be buying property. Um, why is that? Well, can I, can I humbly request that you you give us your answer first, Joe? Because <laughs> it's to me, it sounds like to play the devil's advocate. It sounds like really convenient, like right? Like if I'm a newbie and I'm like, well, this company just takes care of everything, and they know each other, so they kind of know each other's strategies, mm -hmm. and they will talk well with each other. I don't need to like you know link people up. It sounds good. It's a great. It sounds it sounds really good, but the challenge that we have with these type of situations and these larger companies is the incentive to be able to do a good 
a good job. So if so, I I buy property, right? I buy um I run I run a buyer's agency. I only work with people, and I do not take a referral, a kickback, or anything. Any every time because I need to do this, right? I need an accountant. I need a find. I need a mortgage broker. I need a right. um a property manager, conveyancer, all of these things. But if my incentive is I've got two conveyances, one that pays me five hundred bucks. And one that doesn't pay me anything at all. Number one that doesn't, number two that doesn't pay me anything at all is absolutely um, the best. But number one pays me five hundred dollars. Who am I incentivized as a as a business to apply you to? I'm going to give you to the person that is five hundred dollars that is not necessarily the best fit for you. And that's kind of what what happens in these type of businesses when you break apart different businesses where you've got an expert conveyancer. Um, they are the best at conveyancing. But when you smash them all together, it is someone that's not really, that, that is a conveyancer, but they're not the owner. They're just a, someone that is a, is a conveyancer. They get paid a salary. Sure, they make a couple of commissions, but they're not really hardcore going after your best interests. So for me, I want to know where the incentives lie and I want to know who is getting paid, what the kickbacks are and how that kind of works. Typically, as well, the the larger firms are all interconnected, paying each other kick, kickbacks, but they're generally giving you a crappier product. There's not any company that I know that has over 50 employees that is giving customers good investment opportunities out there that I've seen. I don't go out there looking in the market, searching for these. So, so I don't big, know if there that's are. That's a big call, Joe. That's statement. a huge call, man. That's a, huge a big call. statement. It's not, yeah. it's probably not oh. fair for a number of them, but for me, yeah. 50 is is very hard and they're all interconnected and they're all making money and and crossing. So that's kind of where's the incentive and yeah, this is a Brian's come up with another cracking and follow the money. Yeah. Um I don't know, what are your guys thoughts? Go ahead, Jeff. I, I was just going to say I I think it's less about the size of the company and yes the size can be an indication. It's it's more about well how do they actually work? If if they if it is very seamless and and for passing from one handball because I'm sure you could have a company. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's probably companies of fifty plus that. Yeah, sorry, I'm gonna yeah, there will be on that. Yeah, but um, but, but yeah, I think it's because the beauty with this, particularly with people in one or two, because buying a property can be painful. Like administratively, like going to your broker and then going to your accountant. Like if like you have to then sort of make multiple phone calls and you have to explain and you have to get them to talk to each other. So you you have to be sort of and sometimes you have to be pushy because there's occasionally urgency to buy the property. Um, so you sort of have to sometimes say to somebody, look, I need this done by a couple of days' time. Can we make this work? Let's let's get these people in the room. Um, so whereas when, you, when you're going to a company that does it all together, you don't have that friction. It's it's rather simple and easy. You just – it all kind of runs without you having to do too much. So it's, it's the simple but not necessarily the best or most effective option. Um, yeah. There's – for some of the reasons Joe's mentioned, off to you, you PK. Yeah. No, that's, I mean that's yeah. That was, that was my thought, my thoughts as well. And you almost want like different parts of your team to work against each other, in, in the sense of like, let's point. say your yeah. property manager, they should be calling out that oh, this property actually, you know, it's it's got some housing commission, you know, a couple of streets away, or you know, the particular type of layout of the property is not really suited to the demographic of the tenants here. Whereas if you're um, like, if you're the person that you're, that's buying that property for you, whatever, whichever company that is, 
you know, they have a in-house property manager or if they're getting kickbacks from the property manager, like your prop their property manager is not going to say any of that stuff that creates friction. Same with your solicitor or conveyancer. Mm -hmm. Like they should be saying that, you know, actually, yes, post building and pest inspection, you can get X, Y, Z more off. And, you know, we think this is how much you can negotiate and we'll interact and we'll liaise with the vendor's conveyancer or solicitor. But if, you know, the conveyancing team or legal team is in the same kind of umbrella as the buyer's agent or whatever company, right? They're not really incentivized to like really go hard at these sticky points. There's always exceptions and these are just generalizations, right? Um, there's always good, I'm sure good companies where everyone's sort of in the same umbrella as well. But in my experience, it sounds like from you guys as well, it's probably something to double check, triple check. Well, I mean, this is an interesting one. Don't they have to disclose? I mean, they, they do. I mean, legally, I believe they have. this has to be disclosed. No. Don't they? No, they don't. They don't. No, not. Don't so, yeah, yeah, different kickbacks for different professionals. Solicitors, oh. mortgage brokers have to declare kickbacks. Buyers, agents, real estate agents don't unless it's re directly related to the exchange oh, okay. of that property so it, regardless yeah. of whether they ha they would need to or not it's it's where are they actually declaring that because if, if they put it on page 35 in down right down the bottom in Sorry, size like font do you, do you know that it's actually there i just posted a, a little comment up there so it just went to pk's it went yeah. to the, the facebook group not the all of it but um it, this is uh these are uh was it 17 questions to ask a buyer's agent to find out if they're a spruker or not. And I think it's super valuable to have a check through some of those, some of those comments um, and questions because the key ones are um, what kind of kickbacks are you getting from brokers or other professionals? Um, what type of properties do you go about purchasing? And bring up what are your thoughts of house and land packages? That's another great one to ask. How does that investment strategy work in? Because the person, on regardless of any team member, each team member needs to be doing their own component, um, but they also need to um, be on the same kind of path. Because if you've got a conveyancer and a mortgage broker and it's all under one banner for house and land packages are the best, all of those team members are going to say house and land packages are the best. So um, you need to find team members that are aligning your strategy. And if that's your strategy, house and land, go and don't, please don't do it. But if you, you do, then great. Maybe an all-in-one company is is perfect for you, Joe. There's a little bit a little bit of friction in the comments. The guy with the moustache. I assume that's Joe because I can't grow a moustache. The guy with the moustache. What um, is a little so out of line accusing the professionals like financial planners, accountants, conveyance and brokers are not working the best interest duty for their clients. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I'll. I'll I just go where the incentive is. I yeah, that, that's that's it. Go where the incentive I mean, is. Yeah, and, yeah. And actually, also, also, if you are a financial planner and an accountant, you are not a property expert. You don't know what is the best property to go and buy. So if you look on, if you go to an accountant, and this is the thing with accountants, you go to an account, what should I buy? Depreciation, negative gearing. That's what you should go out and get. Is that the best investment strategy for you? No, you need to speak to a property strategist that's thinking about property, not just tax and depreciation. So... Well, well the, the, to speak to some of this, I mean, there's best interest, which is they, they reformed this in 2013, the future of FOFA, future financial advice. So post, I think it was 2013. Um, okay. The post FOFA, there was there was the need to be a higher standard. Financial plans were held to a higher thing. 
But the what what Joe's hit on there, and and it can come across like that from Joe. I think it's it's it shows that you're passionate about it. And I, I wanted to bring this up. I didn't want to just sort of play all the softball questions. But I think the acting in the best interest versus actually what is the best for the they're probably two slightly different things. You can you can provide based on your novel uh, knowledge and expertise what the best inf- based on your sort of wheelhouse. That may not necessarily be the best based on because um, they might might have the experience. Um, so you can mm. you can not fall a cropper of the legislation, but then is that the, is that going to pr- give the optimum outcome for the for the customer? And to Joe's point earlier, like they they may not be doing it like maliciously. It might just be Sometimes. that they're so big, like they Sometimes have to they get through ten clients a week or fifty clients a month or whatever, and they're just like they don't have time. So they just like mm-hmm. they do the bare minimum just to get the deal done, and that's just because they're like they're just an employee. They're just doing their job. They don't really care, right? Is that that that's just human behavior? If you get too big and you have too many clients, and you just yeah. got to get through them. Here we go. Yeah, churn and burn is what they call that. Hope hope um, sorry, hope hope you didn't mind me doing that to you, Joe. I sort of because no I, no. I, I mean it's it's a fair it's a fair it's a fair call because people that people aren't and the thing is, uh, I've, my auntie right she is lovely person, amazing lady. Um, yeah. but she was selling house and land packages to people. Um, and I was like, that's amazing. You're helping these first home buyers. So there is a market for it. If you're a if you're I have a friend he bought in that kind of Schofield area you're talking about. Um, PK. He loves it, the best thing ever, and it's even grown in value for him. And so, like, yeah, she sold to people, and it's amazing. So that's great. But for an investment perspective, no, it's it's not great. This this is a fairly good question as well. Ask, tell me about your property portfolio and your results. I think the you can be a good accountant without necessarily you might you guys might disagree with me on this. So, I, I think you can be a fairly good accountant, a property accountant, without actually having a, a sizable portfolio yourself. Of course, it's great, but um, I, I think as long as you deal with the type of clients who are actually achieving the results. So if you've got if somebody's got fifteen clients with ten plus property portfolios, then they probably know a thing or two about accounting for those kind of people. Whereas if you've got it's fantastic, people, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Okay. Well, we just achieved seven reasons why you should not be buying property. Number one is house and land packages. Retiring in ten years, you should always buy, buy, buy property. Rent vesting. Um, what is it? Pay your mortgage off in seven years and having everything done all for you in Did one you do, space. Did you say rent vesting? Did you do rent vesting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, yeah. I yeah. Should just bought them up. Um, so this has been an absolutely amazing episode. It's it's really highlighted some of the reasons why. Actually, someone wrote this pretty pretty well just up here. Um, I think it was Brian again. It's why it's crucial to get as much education as possible because you need to understand the nuance in property. Because if you nuance. if you don't understand it, don't get it. It 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 doesn't. It's not going to help you. Um, yeah. So and let's go to some of the questions. Well. Um, well, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Joe. I was just, I was just going to say, like, to add to that, get as much education as possible from a variety of sources because. Otherwise, you might be really mm. entrenched in one person's line of thought and be like, I know so much, but it's actually completely wrong. And they've just been like, you know, mugging you the whole time to, to continue mm. that metaphor. Do, you, do you guys agree on that? I mean, that was a fantastic book. Overwhelmed, but do you agree with that? What about mugging? It's a, yeah, it's a fantastic book um, that's been written out there 
by one of these kind of spruker big companies. And I love the book, but then you fall into their funnel and all of a sudden you've got a terrible pat platform here but they tell you all these amazing investment strategies it gets you set up and going so yeah absolutely it's only until you start reading all the other books and other resources where you can start to create your own theory and i'm not yeah like what you're saying pk is don't listen to pk don't listen to me don't listen to jeff form your own opinions around what is valuable maybe you turn out to be house and land packages the best thing for you <laughs> the king of house and land pack or queen um this is an interesting one that we were just kind of talking about. I, I think the answer is, is no, but is that true, PK? You don't I think you don't need a license to that, do you? I I don't know what a property strategy. Well, it's is. it's like somebody who prepares, like I don't know, the I don't want to, yeah, like a, a company who has a big podcast. They they have a they have a property strategy um, kind of thing, um, and yeah. and and they I don't think you need to be because it's it's no, probably because no. it's not regulated, right? Which no, like yeah, and this is maybe it will surprise people, um, but the property industry is like not regulated at all. Like when I first started my business, I really wanted real to do things life. by the book and I got some legal advice on that. And like they, like the, you know, you pay $5,000 for like a lot of legal advice, but like the sum and substance of it was like, yeah, anyone can create a course. Anyone can become a property strategist. Anyone can become a you know a buyer's agent as well of course there's some you know certifications and licenses you need but it's not like it's not really a huge barrier to her entry there's not huge hurdles out there and and that's the kind of yeah it's like even me I have zero qualifications in anything that I've just said right now so you know, yes, I've got a Bachelor of Commerce. Yes, I've done econometrics. Yes, I have a large property portfolio. Yes, I've helped thousands of people. But there is no qualification that I can do to become qualified. It just doesn't exist. If there was one, I'd do it, right? And like a lot of people would do it, but there well, just isn't a, one. There is that in, There is that industry, they, they, well, they're trying to create one, that, that QPIA one. But uh, I mean, I'm not going to say that's good or bad. I just think it's some. they're trying to put something out there, but... Maybe somebody else might be comfortable saying it's good or bad. Um, I, I like this. I love that he. I love that they. Put, I love that he puts uh, Melbourne in it as well. He's like PK picking on Melbourne. I'm going to have to stick up for Melbourne. Good location, <laughs> good price, night. good yield, good emergency fund. Are we, is that sort of is it much more complicated than that PK? There's probably a whole bunch of data. Good location, it. Melbourne. Oh yeah, just just go for it. Not all, yeah, well, all yeah. <laughs> the, the yields in Melbourne are a little bit better than Sydney on aggregate, but they're the second worst. No, no. So, so I think I think what he's saying is. That, like that's all you really need in property like beyond of course there's data points but i think sometimes it can be a bit overcomplicated. so he's not asking if melbourne is good for that but <clears throat> yeah he's oh. saying good location good price good yield good emergency fund yeah there's got to be a little bit more to it than than that but <laughs> if you get a good location yeah absolutely <laughs> and a good price that's what we're all trying to do we're trying to find a good location at the best price um, that is it. Well, there's been a number of fantastic comments that have been thrown throughout this. Um, let's jump into some of those. And if anyone does have any questions for PK um, or, or Joe or Jeff, throw those at us now and we'll get to as many as we can over the next couple of minutes. Um, can, we, can we, this is, um, I mean, some of this might be your, your IP, so maybe give us one or two or how many ever you feel comfortable with. So the question yeah. is, what all paid and unpaid sources of data you rely on, PK? Any websites which you may show us? Thanks, guys. Um, sure. I mean, one really good one um, is the ABS website. And the ABS website has a lot of garbage from a 
location selection perspective on it. But there's some really cool things. Like one data point that I look at, my clients look at as well, is the trajectory of incomes, not the absolute level of incomes, but how they're tracking versus the city or state average. And so if you can see how your suburb is performing over the course of multiple years, of course, ABS is long-term data, then you can ascertain whether that area is gentrifying or not, you know, whether the, I don't know, Kias are turning into Audis, Audis turning into whatever the next thing up is, you know, that's a good long-term data point. That doesn't mean that your area is going to go up in the next year, but that's a good one data point in formulating an opinion on whether in the long term that area is gentrifying and on that's completely free. Um, everyone always asks what is the best data that you can get to make a cohesive judgment call and where to buy. In my experience, um, you know, I'll tell you honestly, the best data is not core logic subscriptions, but the core logic underlying data dumps. You can get a, um, I think it's a a 15k package that gives you uh, a time series i think it's 10 or 15 years of time series on lots of data points like stock on market inventory levels days on market etc etc and you know you can pay more i think thirty thousand dollars for 30 year time series and so yeah it's expensive but to answer the question like that is the best data um, source and you have to you know that's not something that's retail you have to email them or call them but if you can get your hands on that and for those of you who are like a little bit i don't know data savvy you know how to cleanse a csv file etc you can cleanse that create a pivot table or a power pivot and like that is literally more powerful than anything out there that's where like really 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 good buyers agents they have that and they have that they know what's up. They're not relying on, you know, your $150 a month kind of data um, websites and this sort of thing. Those are all good, but the underlying relationships within capital growth and underlying factors, you need to assess that based on regressions over a 30-year period. So for anyone who's like a real data nut like, like me, go get that. Um, otherwise, I mean, we can share in the comments later, like maybe 10 to 15 different websites that people can go to. Mm. Yeah, definitely should yeah, do that. Thank you. You want to pick a question, Joe? I got yeah. I got ten stars. No, I'm just I'm just going to click randomly this one. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh actually, well, on I, the I, data. I sort of, yeah, I I don't, I don't know what your thoughts on on beanies. I'm sort of doing this ad lib, so I hope it's hope you don't think it's terrible. Um, but I think Andrew Bean's putting together something on this um, commercial property data. Um, I, I think he, his is quite manual, so I don't know how long it's going to take him to do all that, but it sounds pretty cool. But Do you have any, PK, that you don't really oh, for me, Sorry, I thought that was to, uh, to Joe. No, no like, like I was saying before, this is, I mean, uh, this is the question I had myself, right, and I'm still learning commercial, so I don't profess to, like, know everything about commercial, but I've been trying to get my hands on, like, a decent set of data whereby I can take my opinion out and just see, oh, how has... Uh, industrial versus retail versus office in different city, states, submarkets performed with different employment, unemployment trends, different interest rate, cash rate trends over time. I haven't been able to find that data. So, like, honestly, I don't have a good answer. I think Andrew Bean has done a great job. Uh, I I haven't been able to use his 
uh, to actually make cohesive um, decisions in commercial myself, mm -hmm. but it's still better than probably most other things that that's out there. Um, but I think in commercial, like it is kind of unique, right? You you literally do have to make phone calls, like dozens of phone calls to property managers, to agents in the location that you've selected to really understand what's going on, really understand true valuations. You can't just get a couple of comparables and say, this is what the rent should be. This is what the, the square meter rate is. You, you need to really understand this stuff by like literally hours and hours and hours on the phone. And it's a bit like property development, I, I think. Like, I don't know what you guys think, but in property development, yeah. you can't look at all 15,000 suburbs across Australia. You have to isolate to maybe two One or three two areas. Or, yeah, yeah. The place, yeah. Because, yeah, exactly. you, can't, you can't compare across the what, what kind of development is happening in, yeah, even sort of across town. I mean, that's similar anyway. Um, yeah, thanks for answering that question, Brian, from Stuart about property strategists and if they're worth a couple of, couple of grand. Um, maybe, maybe not. Um, let's see. Let's see. YouTube user has said, "Is a bad property in a good suburb better than a good property in a bad suburb?" That's a oh, that's a great question. It's like a kind of back to forth. Like, what, what do you, PK? You want to answer this first, or you want to go go last on this one? Oh, I'll go last, Joe or Jeff. Either of you could go ahead. I love this one. A bad property in a good suburb is by far the better way to go. Definitely go that route. Do not get a good property in a terrible location because location does eighty percent of the heavy lifting go to a location like if you can get um a terrible like if all you can afford is the worst property on the best street then go for that if you can afford like a slightly better one i would say probably go the slightly better one but it really depends on how active you want to be if this place is falling down and you need to spend a hundred thousand dollars on a renovation maybe skip it but um if you can spend twenty thousand dollars um, and then that's going to grow the value by $60,000. You're putting in $1 and you're getting back three. So it, it's totally worthwhile. But if you buy in a bad suburb, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So for me, it's a it's a no-brainer. Um, do buy the worst property on the best street rather than the best property on the worst street. I think uh, before, I get, before we throw across to PK, I'll, I'll echo largely your thoughts. So originally, I was like, you know, like what, what, ha what happens if the it kind of, yeah, it, it really comes down to your department your um your budget as well because if you're looking at a bad property in a good suburb if the good suburb is mossman for example a bad property there's still going to cost you like let's just say maybe it's a unit you're still spending eight or nine hundred thousand maybe a bit more for a unit um and and then if, if that underperforms that area um i mean maybe then are you going to get lift are you going to get pulled up so you're not buying mossman you're, you're buying that you're buying that particular property in that suburb so I mean, it, yeah. To I think it's it's a very com it's a it's a complex question. It's not as it's a very good one and it's an important one as well. So I think buying a, a slightly below average in a in a good suburb is is better. But buying a bad or the worst is is yeah maybe a little too simple. Thoughts, PK? Yeah, no, that's, I have the same. It's like Adelaide has boomed. People who may not be educated or just started to think about property, they're like, oh, Adelaide, like, you know, that's the place to buy. And then they're like, oh, damn, I can't find anything under 400. And then they're like, hang on. Like, the Adelaide. You know, like Elizabeth, I can still find. They're like, oh, cool, capital city under 400, Elizabeth. But it's like maybe famous last words. But, you know, there are more premium, nicer areas in a place like Mount Gambia, although that's regional, that I would put my money under 400 as opposed to elizabeth so it, it just comes down to like exactly what you guys said fantastic yeah um 
Let's see. We got yep. interesting. Um, this is I a, like this one. Yeah, I really like I really like this question, and and obviously it's directed at you, PK, but we can all go around it. I bought a property six months ago. Price is still the same since. Um, I have a weird feeling it may have fifty k less now. Should I sell it, or when should I sell it? Um, so essentially, you bought a property and you paid either too much for it, or you bought it in a location that's in a in a dying market. Um, what do you guys think of this one? Well, that's PK, kind of like hard to believe, like for me. Um, it's obviously true, but like Perth has done so well, you know, in the last six months. It's I don't know where. Maybe you can share the suburb and we can give some insights. Yeah, hit, but this, this came yeah, out a great. while ago, so they might not still be watching. And what's the unit like? Was it a unit? Was it a house? How did that kind of? Because if it was yeah. a unit in Perth, I could probably six months probably believe that it's dropped that amount, especially if you've overpaid. You've overpaid for it. Like it's easy to overpay on stuff. Like it's it's amazing. Particularly when, when you think everything is going up, you sort of say you, you just you go in and yeah, I I think it's it's a tough one because I don't like to say to people either they should buy or sell. Particularly given that I think it's it like my my kind of approach um, generally because I've I've sold property that I didn't think was going to perform over the longer term. It's the first property I bought, and I've sold others in my time as well, but that, that was for specific reasons. But the reason I sold that property, which is in the northern suburbs of, of Queensland, it's in it because it wasn't the type of property that I felt it was a townhouse. So I didn't think it was going to perform, and I, I wasn't anywhere near as educated as what I needed to be to buy that. So I think you you need to go back, whoever's um, you need to go back to the original reason you bought the property, and and mm. and what the fundamentals like. What was the what was your thesis? What was the data? What was the property managers saying to you what were all these things and you haven't done those and maybe try and do those now and just reverse engineer what it looks like now like it's too late to maybe do and then make a call if, if it's stopping you progressing forward then maybe but i'm not yeah you got to make your own calls mm. like i'm not saying sell it but i think you just have to make those um do do, do some hard thinking potentially pick it yeah mm. I, I generally think that, you know, with like transaction costs in Australia, the way they are and buying and selling. Like Higher selling, interest rates as well. Maybe hard yeah. to buy something else. So what are you what are you replacing it with? Exactly. Like last resort. Like when you run out of borrowing capacity and you're like, oh, I, I want to continue my journey. Maybe that's the time to sell it, but assess it on the data at that point. Yeah. yeah, at six months, it's very hard to tell the yeah, growth as well. Yeah, like it, it and, kind of pays to one of our myths or one of our kind of things. It's about being financially free in 10 years. Like, you have to a lot of things have to go right and if you're looking at it every three days on like a stock or something or crypto mm. and saying oh it hasn't gone up 220 percent like it's a failure it's it's not successful yeah and i guess the question is would i buy this um property today and also what can i do i'm going to sell this property i'm going to lose you know 100 well, maybe fifty thousand dollars of entry costs and exit costs am i better off with a four hundred thousand dollar at nest egg instead of a five hundred thousand dollar invested here so what is going to be the best because yeah joe is the king of adelaide <laughs> i don't think it's well i'll take that i'll take yeah. that i do like adelaide some I good opportunities like, i love how jeff like just like sneaks in these like you know like these like sometimes snarky sometimes cute comments like a kid in the candy store somewhat um let's let's this is going to be a big question what are your thoughts when the rba finally takes a foot off the gas mid-2023, will the big four increase borrowing capacity and by how much? Well, we've already, already seen, are. you already saw NAB and I think there was another one as well. So you've already seen them West find Bank? ways to tweak the criteria. So BOQ, yeah. 
I mean, this is kind of speaking to Steve Ignite's point last week. Like, it's it's a he called it a Ponzi, so he called it a couple of times. And and to some extent, I mean, if if things like how does unless they change the borrowing capacity, like they could even sort of say forty year borrowing terms. Like, it starts throwing that out there. That that then throws out or even fifty year borrowing terms or loan terms. Then that way you can you can sort of start to say, well, yes, your borrowing capacity capacity does increase because you're you're changing the the um, the, the dynamics. Um, mm. What are your thoughts when the RBA finally takes? I mean, I think that might be too late if you're trying to time the market. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, on? I've been I've been wrong, and like there's YouTube videos of me six months ago saying that interest rates are unlikely to go up more than one or two percent. So, oh, me like, too. <laughs> I don't know. If I, I, stopped, I stopped. I stopped making. I'm just like I. I really don't know if anybody thinks. Yeah. I look at the RBA, what their their yield or the ASX one, and that kind of show some indication like the data like like honestly it seems like every two weeks you know you go from being bearish to like bullish on interest rates it things that like right now inflation just came down like joe said before uh, retail spending has come down so it seems that it would be preposterous for um the rba to go at a 50 percent rate height um, in december if they only do 25 percent then there's no january meeting it's like they, that might be it cba reckons there's only one or two left it's hard to tell, but I definitely think we're we're closer to the peak than than not. And in terms of big four increasing borrowing capacity, net interest margins for banks, the way that overseas lending and global money markets are working, net interest margin, which is how banks make money, is just going down and down and down and down. So they need to compete with each other. They need to vie for business. I don't know, like you know, how they're going to do it. I'm not a banker or anything like that. But one thing. Um, uh, it'll be keen to get your your guys' thoughts on this, and it probably affects everyone. You know, like the buffer, you know, the APRA put on banks that increased from two percent to three oh, percent. The buffer that banks have to calculate um, your serviceability on your real lending rate plus you know three percent that got increased last year by one uh, percent. I reckon that could go down to back down to two percent. Um, you know, because now interest rates are almost at the top. There's no need to have huge buffers. That could mean that all of a sudden people that, I don't know, I'm just making this up, that couldn't borrow 200K can now borrow 300K. People who could borrow 500K can now borrow six. I don't know the exact like arithmetic, but do you guys think that's going to happen? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's once they get, because I, I don't necessarily know if APRA and the RBA work in, work in conjunction I think maybe they do. They probably do talk to each other. They probably have coffee together at the yeah. So, but I, I don't know if there's any official co collaboration between those two organisations. <laughs> but they, they sort of have two slightly different mandates. Like APRA is just to make sure there's stability in the in the banking kind of system. So I think once that once the once APRA, which is Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority, is confident that they're getting closer to the end, because the last thing they'd want to do is sort of act too preemptively. Because imagine if they did that when inch, when the cash rate was two percent, and and next minute now the cash rate's sort of close, almost free, and then and now people who have borrowed at two percent RBA cash rate, um, mm. they they now only got a buffer of one percent on top of whatever mm. they borrowed. So you sort of I think eventually there'll be scope for that, but who knows when and how by how much yeah. I don't. And also the RBA, they're all just going to rely on what the RBA has to say, and the RBA's data is very far behind so we're only probably in just june july numbers that all of the data that the rba has to make all of their decisions so we're going to have to wait until january february time to when we start to catch up to kind of where 
kind of makes sense. So no one's going to pull any crazy triggers right now, except for the RBA. Once they do whatever they're going to do, once they see inflation is starting to push back down, then they loosen up and things are, things will start to shift. But I don't see anything too crazy. Nothing crazy is going to happen um, yeah. anytime soon. I'm, I'm, I'm picking on a lot of the macro sort of questions because people are asking about talk about the Canberra market. There was something about talking about Toowoomba. Like, I'm, I'd love to sort of we'd, we'd be literally here for five hours, and I, I, you're, you're an hour behind in Queensland, I believe. PK? Yeah, I'm, I'm still relatively early, 8.30. Yeah, but still I've got, <laughs> um, let's, let's kind of, this is an interesting one here. Um, what's up with a negative gearing thingy being removed? They say it will help prices come down. How does that work? So the, the way I like to think about it is the property market is just like any market. Um, why did property prices go up Because in COVID? COVID was businesses shutting down, everything was shutting down, all the money is going, everything is going to go down. Everyone was saying properties are going to crash. But then the government printed billions of dollars and tipped that money into people. And those people then put that money into assets like crypto, shares, property, and all of those assets rose. And this is the exact same thing here with negative gearing. A lot of people utilize negative gearing to lower their tax threshold. So for me, if it's removed, it's going to remove a lot of uh, value from the market. So if the government does remove it from people, that is going to push prices down. That's how I well, see the world. Assuming demand, which demand will probably go down because money. investors will probably pull out. People, well, investors will because if there's if you have no the, the benefit of negatively gearing is a tax write off and getting money back from the government. And if that doesn't exist, you're just losing money for the sake of losing money. In the it's kind of it's very much offset by a tax write off. And all of the people that are negatively gearing are just going to say, "Hell no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to pull all my money out and put it into a different asset class." So if that happens, I think buy some Australian shares. <laughs> That's well, that, that's money. a good point, right? Like negative gearing isn't specific to property. It's a tax philosophy across all asset Drinking classes. Credit. So like, it's very politically easy to say, you know, remove negative gearing on property, but then remove it on stocks as well, right? Do it on everything, like e even playing field. I'll mm. probably get some haters after that, but, True. you know, there should be some. Uh, well, I imagine they, I'm sure they would actually, surely. Then there would be a flight of liquidity of funds from Australia back to their origins, you know, Hong Kong, the US, um, London, and that would mm. destroy the ability of Australian companies to raise capital, to issue more debt that would contract the Australian economy. Like it's political suicide. Yeah, this this is you could almost do you could just do a whole session on this this question, and I think they've 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 tried to do it. Well, they did do it in I think it was the late 80s or early 80s it was it was it the hawk government I'm, i wasn't born then so sorry it for that long. yeah it lasted about probably six or 12 months roughly and they said oh look there's actually we're really disincentivizing investors here we probably need to yeah we need we need people to buy houses and, and sort of provide accommodation because we're not doing it ourselves so and then providing yeah, accommodation so, and stamp duty um massive well, yeah. like the government gets a boat well that's of money a state government duty. so negative gearing is a federal so it's kind of yeah 
But um, they'll probably have a crack at it again. Maybe I don't know in a couple of elections from now. If I the liberal to go with that kind of policy, that would that would be just throw the real cat amongst the pigeons. Like liberal to go with a non-liberal policy. Not that I'm trying to be as apolitical as possible. Um, for for this one, which is better, BA or DIY? I'm just going to put a podcast here because otherwise, this is like a round two of the debate. I'm yeah, exactly. What listen yeah, to? Drop a comment in here. Yeah, listen. Which to, is um, better? Okay, PK, you go why going for a buyer's agent is better and I'll go with why education Do you really want to do this, Joe? Do you really no, want to do I don't, I don't want to. No, we, it's we, in we, reverse. We're doing reverse. You're saying nah, why all, buyer's agent is better. It's not all, a like, all I'll say on this because it's like uh, I'm kind of sick of talking about it, to be honest, but I know, Joe, you are. All I'll say is go check out that video and try to find someone like Joe if you are considering a buyer's agent because – my honest opinion, I know everyone thinks I hate buyer's agents, my honest opinion is that the majority, i.e. more than 50% of buyer's agents, aren't worth it. But try to find someone like Joe if it's not Joe. Have you got data for that? Sorry, I have no data on it. I just have like yeah. more than a 1,000 clients' portfolios to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing that I think for me is education is a stepping point into a buyer's agent. My first purchase was through a buyer's agent that we were talking about. One-stop shop, <clears throat> awesome guy. He wore a suit. He was on all the podcasts. He was the coolest thing since sliced bread. He bought me a terrible asset, but it was because I didn't have the education behind me to ask the questions that I needed to ask to understand if he was a good buyer's agent or not. So fundamentally, it all starts with education um, and you need that first and then go start to build your team of professionals out out from there um so pk you do education how can people learn more about who if people have loved this session so far how can people learn more about you because can this I, can has I ask been, one more question joe before we no oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> no go, go, go. <laughs> I, I yeah we've got it yeah this one i think is really cool um because i just want to know this myself who who inspires you do you have mentors mm. like Actually, there was a question that was very uh, kind of similar to this by Steve Polisi. If you're still watching as well, he was Polisi. asking what what I yeah the Polisi. He was asking um, what I'd do different, and it's kind of the same answer as this: Who inspires you? Do you have mentors? Like I, I don't really have mentors. I never really had like you know formal mentors. I know that's kind of hypocritical because I espouse that you should get education and mentoring. I never really had any formal mentors, but um, what I would do different is not necessarily paid mentors, like, like let, let's be honest, but mm -hmm. do okay. try to find someone that um, can kind of open your eyes because what my biggest regret in property, uh, and I don't teach developing or commercial or anything like that, but my biggest a regret in property was having a limiting mindset or belief system. And I took too long to start developing. I took too long to start, um, you know, commercial property. Uh, Steve Polisi himself says that you should, you know, most times start with residential. And I agree with that, but I probably took too long to go to the next steps up. Um, and so what inspires me the most, um, I think it's like, mentors like you guys didn't pay me to, to say this but it's genuinely like mentors um like you guys like you know jeff i don't think i don't know like i don't know how your group works and stuff but i'm pretty sure you're not like making a million bucks you know you're just you're out actually trying to help people <laughs> yeah. well maybe you are right like you're just trying to help people and same with joe like i can tell you for anyone who's watching or listening 
like Joe could make a lot more money pivoting to a type of uh, buyer's agent business model that gets him way more clients that he could charge far more per pop. He could, you know, he could be making much more than what he's, you know, the, the type of business he has, but he has integrity. And, you know, whether it's buyer's agents, whether it's course creators, whether it's just other YouTubers, like there are so many not good YouTubers out there, people who have integrity, and I try to have integrity, like I try my best. Um, those are the people who inspire me. Even like some of my clients, right? Like they've just got one property, but it's like they worked hard for it. You know, like they're working a, a, a nine to nine job. They have two kids. Like it's really hard. They're making 100K household income, but they like hustle to get that property. Like that's what inspires me. Um, so I, what I would do different is like surround myself with more those types of people and yeah, I'm very grateful to yeah to be on this because you guys are those types of people. Oh, well said. Too 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 nice, DK. Like um, I, I would say, nice. oh, who's who's your mentor, Joe? Who do you see as a? Yeah. No, well, the reason why we created this group, right? This is how this entire group started. Is McKnight. me and Jeff met at a, a Steve McKnight conference where we had a whole room. We had a hundred people that loved property, talked about property, but then all of us went home. And we were like, oh, man, I haven't got any friends. I haven't got any family that care about property. And that's exactly what this biz, that, that what this group is. And it's all just about people coming together, talking about their passion and helping each other grow. There are people in this group like UPK that have multi-million dollar portfolios and that provide, you know, education galore throughout your podcast, your YouTube channels, your course itself. And these people just jump in the comments and share. So my mentors are the people that are your mentors, PK, the people that actually do crazy stuff and work incredibly hard and they get the results. And it's so much, it's so much sweeter when you, uh, when you yeah. see that, like it's, it's amazing. It's kind of like, it's weird. Cause like people call me a property guru. Cause like I just took a risk and started producing content, but there are literally like, um, there are probably like, I don't know, like a hundred thousand more successful property investors than me and probably you guys in Australia, but they just don't produce content, right? It's like, those are the real inspiring people. And, and in these groups, like my group, your group, they are there, like they're there. So people should make the most of that. We really want to speak to some of those people, but it's it's just uh, like some people just don't want to get on camera and all that sort of stuff. So I get that. But um, and another underrated, I'm going to say a mentor of mine is Jeremy E. Mazzelli. Like he's underrated. Like that that guy is an absolute powerhouse. Like really appreciate us. Yeah. Was it? Sorry, I've got a, just I've got a request here for hugs. So just... <laughs> <laughs> oh, Let's do it. Group group hug. Accelerating. Accelerating. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you've yeah. got to you just surround yourself with surround yourself with good people that are headed in the right direction. I think that that the yeah, that's that's the the key message of all of this. Okay. Okay. Um, should we should we let's let's wrap it up. We've gone through the reasons why you shouldn't be buying property today, and um, I think there's a lot more reasons why you should be buying property, but we've got to learn about how to make that happen. So what are the resources? What are the tools? How can we learn PK? How do we do it? Because you have an amazing course teaching thousands of people how to do it. Give us the run through. Yeah, no, I think before anyone considers the course or any course or anything at all, like on, I always say this, you know, no one cares about your money as much as you do. Um, not even me, as much as I profess to be holier than Nobody thou. Um, so, you know, get educated and get free educated first. So I have a um, podcast on Apple, 
and what's it's called, um, Spotify and Google Podcasts. We actually just hit the 100 uh, review mark, which was pretty cool. Um, a lot of hard work went into that. And also my YouTube channel and the Facebook group. They're all um, Australian Property Mastery by PK. The Facebook group has not as many as people as you guys, but around 25,000. <laughs> uh, YouTube is at, it was pretty cool. It's almost at 17K subs now, which I'm pretty happy about. Um, so yeah, but and, like listen to watch that stuff, but get a diversity of um, of education, and then you'll be more convinced. Like even if you do want to do my course, get other free education first, and then you can really see the value of the course. Or you may say, I duh, this is actually not for me. I, I vibe with someone else. Um, I just think that free education is is king. Mm-hmm.